everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Roundhouse Crosstalk, a podcast presented by the California State Railroad Museum. This week, we'll be speaking with Robert Powell about his lifelong model train hobby. Hi, Robert. It's Jake from the Railroad Museum. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? Doing good. Um, I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Our first question today is how long have you been a volunteer with the museum and how many hours have you logged thus far? Well, I was a graduate of class 66 in uh, 2016, so I've been a docent for almost four years and logged about 3,000 hours. So during your time at the museum, what do you think has changed the most? I think the, uh, the fact that museums put in um, New, new exhibits that are more hands-on, they seem to have been going to a more um, hands-on activities. Perfect. And our second question today is, we are all made up of railroad stories and personal connections to the railroad. What are yours? Well, my uh, personal connection to the railroad began when I was three years old. Um, that's when I received my first Lionel point train set. Um, since I was so young, though, I think my dad got as, as much for himself as he did for me. Um, he set it up on a uh, four-foot by six-foot plywood board, and I recall the board was decorated with green grass paper with little roads cut out on it, and it even had an aluminum foil lake. Um, my mom, she was very artistic, so she made some buildings for the little layout. And uh, she did such a good job that I still use those buildings today on my current layout almost 50 years later. Um, the family train layout was traditionally set up once a year around the holidays, but I was always sad to see it put away after Christmas. So someday I wanted to have a more permanent type layout. And that someday finally happened when I moved to California and got my own apartment. It was a, a two-bedroom apartment uh, on the second story, so I had one bedroom for the trains, which was nice. It worked out pretty well, but I had to take care not to run the trains too late into the night so the neighbors downstairs wouldn't be disturbed by them. So eventually I decided to buy a house, and it took me a few months to find just the right place, enough room for the trains. Um, so it turned out the home of my dreams has up for it a 380-square-foot building in the backyard, which is just perfect for, like, a train room and a nice-sized train layout. Um, because I wasn't sure, you know, how long I was going to be here, I started small um, with just a 4-foot by 8-foot plywood board. And then I just, as time permitted, I kept adding more and more 4 by 8-foot boards until I was able to fill the whole floor area of the uh, of the building. And on that level, I have uh, two mainline tracks, and then there's also a yard area and a trolley track. I have several operating accessories, and I even have space for a transfer table and a turntable. Um, I'm really into bridges. So I added an upper-level track for a trestle and girder bridge, a couple of lift bridges, 
a swing bridge and a Hellgate bridge, which is kind of like the Hellgate bridge they have on the layout at the uh, Sutton in our museum. Um, the upper level track also has uh, wider curves to accommodate larger locomotives. And then last year I, I added yet another layout level between the lower and the upper levels uh, to showcase a one-of-a-kind Lionel drawbridge prototype, which came directly from the Lionel archives. And uh, when the internet came along in the 1990s, I was really interested in learning about how to build websites. So I started posting photos of my train layout online, and I, I eventually got my own domain name, which is robertstrains.com. And this has enabled me to literally share my hobby like worldwide. I also eventually added Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, and YouTube accounts for my train layout. Uh, but perhaps the most fulfilling part of all of this is the collaboration I've had with other toy train hobbyists. Um, I've been documenting lesser-known toy train manufacturers on my website, and they've been sending me photos from their collections. Um, they're really into um, Chris model trains and Frank's roundhouse trains, which most people probably have never heard of, uh, but they were train manufacturers in the 1970s and 1980s. So it's truly been a lifetime hobby for me. Awesome. And what made you decide to give back to the railroad by becoming a volunteer with us at the California State Railroad Museum? Well, though I've been a museum member since 1992, I never really thought about being a docent. And then during a museum visit in uh, 2016, I was walking through the, uh, the third level where the toy trains are, and I noticed there were no docents or museum staff around to answer questions or interpret any exhibits. So I contacted the museum shortly after that to see if they needed any help. And it turned out there was a docent training class starting in a couple of weeks. So I thought, since I was nearing retirement at the time, I thought it would be the, the perfect time to start. And I thoroughly enjoyed the six weeks of training and have been happily a docent ever since. Based on your hobby, I think I know the answer to this one. But our fourth question is, what is your favorite exhibit at the museum and why? Yeah, as you might guess, uh, because of my hobby, I, I do enjoy being on the third level with toy trains. Um, I would say my favorite area up there to interpret is in front of the post-war case, and that's where the Lionel space and military items are displayed. Um, a lot of visitors don't know about the action cars in that case, uh, such as the uh, cars that have a manual wind-up mechanism they can launch like a helicopter and a satellite into the air. And there's also a boxcar that launches a hidden missile, and it can blow up a spring-loaded ammo dump for a boxcar. Um, there's also a flat car with a rubber band-powered submarine. Um, another car carries canisters containing pretend radioactive waste, uh, which is simulated by blinking red lights inside the canisters. Um, kids that have outgrown time with the train. They're, they seem especially interested in learning about those models. Um, I also like to ask 
adults who are walking around looking at the uh, the layout of display cases, if they have any toy train memories. And uh, almost always a visitor has a toy train story that they're eager to tell me. Well, perfect. Um, I do want to thank you for coming on to the podcast. I know those phone things can get um, be a little bit harder, so I appreciate you being open to that. Oh yeah, no, no problem. Um, I'm glad. I'm glad it worked out. It's it's nice to be able to do something for the museum, you know, even when it's not open. Yeah, definitely. I will look forward to uh, I look forward to talking to you once the museum gets back up and running. Yeah, yeah, don't we all? <laughs> all right, man. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> okay, thanks, Jacob. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of Roundhouse Crosstalk. If you'd like to share your story on this platform, please contact Jason Rankins. We look forward to releasing another interview next week on Friday at 3 o'clock.